and welcome to Ben. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'll let Happy Lisa give you a little introduction. <laughs> um, ben Nixon, he has a lot of roles in the music industry. So he's a singer, a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, um, and he also does live sound and engineering. And so he's the head of audio at um, a couple of theaters, has done live sound for a bunch of festivals, including the Calgary Folk Festival and Canmore Folk Festival, and um, has a couple band projects. So, um, Ben, you're also a lighting designer. I know I've worked Occasionally. with you in that capacity. <laughs> so you're doing a whole bunch of things in the industry, and we're so pumped to talk to you about a bunch of that stuff. Um, Maddie. Yeah, that sounds great. So the first thing I'd like to start off by asking you is, as Lisa mentioned, you do a variety of different things. And for all the young viewers watching, how would you, what would be your advice? How do you balance being in so many different areas of the music industry? And would you recommend diversifying and <laughs> finding a role in different areas? I would absolutely recommend trying out different things. Um, I first got interested in music industry in any capacity uh, just basically watching some of my friends in high school playing in their garage rock band and I was like oh cool I want to be in a garage rock band um, and then ended up getting into recording some of those friends and found that I liked producing which then I ended up in live sound and so it's, I've just sort of ended up um, there are a lot of things that I've done where I didn't necessarily know how to do them when I was offered the gig um, and I think that's true for a lot of us in different capacities, whether it's, I don't really play jazz, but I can put some, put some work in or whatever, whatever our situation is. Um, so I think being open to whatever can come up is really important because it, it lets you see things that you may not have known even existed. Um, an example of one of those things for me, uh, in the last few years, I've done some more work as what's called a system technician. So basically, um, that often means you're the person who's saying, okay, these speakers go here at exactly this angle. I need to do this to make them sound good. And like 15 years ago, I wouldn't have known that was a specific job at all. Um, <laughs> but just by being around people and going, hey, what's that person over there doing? There's a lot that you can discover. And another huge benefit, I think, to being willing to diversify is that you gain a better understanding of what the people around you are doing so like for example i've done sound for lisa on a bunch of occasions and mm -hmm. uh, the fact that i am a musician happen to be a bass player as well um, it means that i have a much better understanding of what might make her happy or at least how to ask what would make her happy um, than someone who's you know maybe literally specifically doing sound and doesn't play any music so I think it's a huge asset for sure. That's some great advice, yeah. Cool. Um, so one of the things that I'm super excited to hear you talk about is lighting design. And I saw Ben do some lighting design work behind the scenes before we were actually on the show. And I was like, what is he even doing? So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about even what lighting design is and then um, how it kind of fits into a live show? Sure. Um, I don't often market myself as a lighting designer uh, just because I feel like I'm stronger in some of the other areas, but I've certainly done a handful of gigs in that capacity. And I think Lisa's referring to, uh, I did a few shows working for Michael Bernard Fitzgerald as his lighting designer, um, which was a super fun gig. 
uh, definitely one of those situations where you, you do the gig, you sort of know what you're doing and you learn as you continue. Um, lighting design, essentially, if you are the lighting designer, you're obviously working with the lighting equipment in some capacity, but you're mainly the person who's translating between the technical and the creative. Um, so on a larger production, a lighting designer might exclusively be saying, be doing the creative thought and saying, okay, when we get to this point of the song, I need these lights to move here, go to this color and have this pattern that they're putting on the stage or whatever the case may be. Um, and so basically if you're in that kind of a role as a lighting designer, you need to figure out the show that you are accentuating so sometimes that's knowing okay at this point in the song there's a guitar solo i need to be prepared to put more light on that guitarist or it might mean okay this is a really moody piece i need to know that there should be nothing on their faces at all it should be entirely backlit for just pure drama all silhouettes uh, and that sort of thing applies in multiple different areas so lighting design certainly happens in music but it happens a ton in theater and dance and sort of multidisciplinary fields as well um, and it especially something that's very movement based whether that's dance or just like a a very physical performer someone who's very active on stage um, it's you can have so much of an effect actually there's one one moment that comes to mind as i'm thinking back on some of the great lighting design that i've seen we had Jill Barber on stage at the Bella Concert Hall. And I wasn't doing lights for that one, but she had her own touring lighting designer. And there was this magical moment that happened where she hit, it must have been like the bridge of the song, everything kind of broke down. And she just slowly shifted herself upstage until she was exclusively lit by one light from the side. And that was just this sort of perfect relationship <laughs> moment between the artist and the lighting designer knowing how to work with each other. And it was just, um, it made that moment so much more powerful. Oh, very cool. Um, and is that, yeah, go ahead, Nettie. Oh, I was, I was gonna ask um, next, a little bit of switching gears, but uh, you also do live sound. So can you describe to the viewers what the main difference between live sound is uh, versus recording in a studio? Sure, yeah. I've done lots of both. I actually started off with recording and then just kind of enough people asked me to do live sound things that it started happening. Uh, these days, that's most of what I do. Um, so it's actually kind of an interesting thing as technicians, we're really aware of if a person is more coming from a live background or more from a recording background in how they approach sound. Um, speaking super generally, someone who is much more focused on recording often is also a person who has had the time to try out, say, six different microphones on this guitar and go, I really like that one, let's use that one. Someone who's in live sound uh, is more likely to have gone, okay, that mic worked before I have half of a second to do it, there we go. Um, and so if you're fortunate to work with people who have some sort of crossover there, whether that's just that they've put a lot of time into their craft or they've actually really worked in both fields, you can get a really effective sound technician who both knows how to make things sound great and how to get the job done. Um, and I, I'm not trying to slag on anyone when I say that, just they're different priorities. So when I teach my sound fundamentals workshops, um, I sort of break it down to three steps of making the sound work. The first step is, does it work? The second step is, does it suck? 
And then third step is, can it be better? So even if you just get the first one, you have a show, right? Even right. if it sounds bad, you have a show. If you can have it so that nothing sounds blatantly awful, you're doing really well. And then after that, you start putting time into making it good. And if you're working a live gig, um, it is very realistic that on a lot of shows, especially a festival stage, you only get the first two before the band starts. And then the, the first two songs of the band are, you are literally building the mix at the same time that the audience is hearing it. Um, because you probably only got as far as fixing whatever the problem was. And so that means that live sound, uh, a lot of the times can be more stressful than recording um, because there are more often clear cut deadlines than there are with a recording project. Um, but it's also super rewarding because you've got all that energy of the audience there with you and you have that interactivity with the performers on stage. Um, one of the things that I love most about live sound is it gives me lots of opportunities to very obviously be helpful to the performers. So, um, I guess I should say there are a lot of different roles in live sound and two of the sort of main ones that people think of would be front of house technician. So that's the person who's mixing the sound the audience hears and monitor technician who's mixing the sound that the performers hear. Um, one of the great things about being a monitor technician, and I have a number of friends who feel this way as well, is that you are constantly working on making the musicians happy and you're doing things, um, where if it's an eight piece band, you're trying to make eight people happy. And that also means that there are a lot of situations where you are actively involved in fixing what could have been a huge problem. Like you might actually be that person who, when someone steps on a cable, you run out, grab the cable, pass it to the musician and the show keeps going. Um, and there are different, there's a lot of overlap in the roles, but when you're doing that, I just, I love how I can feel like I've been, relevant i don't have to be seen by the audience but i've been relevant and helpful to making the show effective and successful mm, absolutely what would we do without you guys <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to talk anymore about recording or do you feel like you've already covered that i saw you had josh on before oh yeah we did interview josh um I wanted to actually ask one more question to do with your experience doing live sound. Can you maybe describe a situation or something where you had to overcome a challenge or something happened in the moment and you had to react to it? And what would be your advice to young musicians about dealing with things when they go wrong? Mm. Yeah. Um, Good question, Maddie. That's a great question. And it really matters for sure. <laughs> um, it's not always easy but the most helpful tool you have is keeping your cool. Um, and I know if something is going wrong and you're standing there and people can see you, you know, swearing under your breath or like pulling your hair out, um, it doesn't really instill confidence in anyone. And sometimes I'm guilty of doing it too. Um, but most of the time people just want to feel like things are going to be okay more than they care about exactly how it's going to be okay. Mm. And so that's, I'd say one of the big things is just being able to stay cool. And another huge one is having backup plans. And that applies to any technical thing. I, I say it all the time when I'm teaching people about live streaming. Um, and that's essentially, if there's something that has a chance of failing that matters, at least have an idea in your mind of what you would do. So 
sometimes you've got like catastrophic level things like a meteor hit the venue. You can't really do anything about that. But uh, if you feel like there's, you know, there's some chance that one of the monitors for one of the performers, it could go. Maybe you've got a spare one available or maybe, you know, in your mind, if that were to happen, I'm just going to run out point that monitor so it's now covering both the drummer and the bass player and they can both hear something the show goes on they're probably going to be understanding and no one else has to notice so just having some ideas of what could go next having spares where it's available and not expensive to do so to do so um it offers a lot of peace of mind especially if you're someone like me who can be pretty high energy and often get anxious in a big situation Incredible tips. Um, so what would you say, like just the back end of Maddie's question, um, what are some of the things that you would say would be really helpful for like young and emerging artists, actually, well, anybody, for for um, helping create a, an excellent live sound situation and also for dealing um, with and engaging with the sound engineer? Yeah. Um, Maybe some of the etiquette or some of your tips. Sure. Uh, there are a ton of things. I tried to think of just sort of a few that I could mention um, that would be helpful. Etiquette, absolutely, that's great. Um, I don't know how much I can really get into it in a in a short period of time, but I mean, simple human etiquette goes a long way. Um, if you can try and learn people's names, that's really helpful. Yes. Um, you know, things like eye contact, not yelling at people angrily. And using clear language, that's actually one that's uh, that's a little bit of an acquired skill. So we have sort of, we've got lingo and we've got sort of physical gestures and hand signals that we in, in performance acquire, whether that's as a player or as a technician. Um, so there are some really simple things that are kind of universal. And maybe you don't have the time to actually be polite because you're literally in the middle of playing. But if you need more of yourself in your monitor and you can just go, that's pretty clearly me, monitor, louder. And that means everyone can work effectively. As opposed to, it can be frustrating if I'm trying to do sound and someone looks over at me and they just go, and I'm like, what up? The ceiling? <laughs> what? <laughs> The balloons? I don't know what's going on. Um, but a few things that I always try and teach when I'm doing workshops. Um, one of them, if you're going to be a person on stage, have an idea of what you need. So just because you're an eight-piece band on stage doesn't mean that in your monitor you need to hear all eight people's instruments. So be aware of what the most important things are. And you remember how I, I started off with, does it sound, does it suck, can it be better? Figure out what it is that gets you to step two. So if you're a vocalist, you need to hear yourself first and foremost, right? Maybe then you know you also need to hear, say, the piano. Beyond that might be gravy. If you are in a festival situation and you, you actually have 15 seconds to sound check, because that's how it works sometimes, you need to know vocal, piano, great, next. And as long as you can get what you need in the moment, there's room to improve, but just understand what the basics are so that you can get there quickly and also know for yourself you're going to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, 
if you know what those things are, then you can also start to get comfortable with curing things around you that aren't necessarily in your own monitor, especially if we're talking about wedges rather than in-ears. If you've just got wedge monitors on stage, you're always going to be hearing other things. You're definitely hearing the drum kit. You're definitely hearing the next person's monitor beside you. Um, and so just because it's not in your wedge, wait and listen before you make a request for something that isn't crucial. It saves people's time too. Um, uh, I've got a few others that I was thinking of. Uh, oh yeah, along those lines, planning what you're going to sound check with. Um, do you have you played on stage much, Maddie? Yeah, I I opened for Jory a couple times at the Ironwood and kind awesome. of the same situation working with uh, JT there. Oh nice. And when you've played on stage, do you often have an idea of what song or piece of a song you plan to sound check with? Yeah. Awesome. That's something that I see a lot of young artists don't do because they just haven't thought of it before. And so you spend the first minute of everyone looking at each other going, hey, should we do this one? Um, <laughs> but if you know what song it is, like say a verse and a chorus of a song you play pretty much every show, everyone knows right. that's the first thing you're gonna sound check. It again, accelerates things. And also because you're familiar with that, you've done that piece of a song at so many sound checks, you also know very quickly, is this in the ballpark of what I need? Absolutely. Um, that's yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Should I keep going? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. Hey, Maddie. Yeah. yeah. Um, other things that I wanted to mention. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. Volume goes both ways. It doesn't <laughs> just go up. So, again, if we're talking monitors on stage and what you need to hear, say you're the singer, say you are um, also playing an acoustic guitar at the same time and you start getting it dialed in, and then you go, oh, I can't hear my voice, I need more voice. I still need more voice. Is it possible you just need less guitar because your own guitar is drowning out your voice? And that works in the whole band relationship as well. Maybe you need less of the person next to you in your wedge in order to hear yourself. And the lower volumes you can be happy with, the easier everything becomes to work with. Ah, but it, it becomes easier for who to work with? For everyone, actually. So um, for the sound technician, it often becomes easier because the more we turn up stage monitors, the more likely we are to get feedback of the microphone going back into the speaker over and over. Um, and also, at a certain point as a player on stage, if your overall stage volume gets too loud, it, it really starts to desensitize you. And you might actually find that maybe you're starting to mess up your hearing, uh, maybe you can't hear things that you're used to hearing, like if you're used to not super loud shows and you are comfortable with hearing a bit of the crowd noise and then you can't hear any at all, that might be an unsettling experience as well. Do you think that kind of comes back as well to how bands practice or how loud they play in general? Because let's say there's a band and the, the drums and the bass are super loud and even when they're practicing, maybe the vocals can't be heard as much. So totally. you think it comes back to that, like that should be something they prepare before they go and work yeah. with a live sound engineer. I really think so, for sure. I think that's a great point. Um, and it's also so much easier on the singer in that situation for rehearsal <laughs> and they're having more fun. Um, so, I mean, anything you can do in a rehearsal space, usually we're working with small rooms where it's just like a drum kit is making so much noise in there, right? Um, sometimes 
a drummer is willing to adjust to the size of the room and say use hot rods or whatever instead of full sticks in a small space. Um, I've certainly had situations where drummers that I've been playing with don't love playing with rods, but we show up at a gig and it's in like a 40 person cafe and they have to switch the rods or the brushes. Actually, I even had one gig uh, with my group Locomotive Ghost um, where James Bundy, who's also a technician and is the drummer in that group, he was playing drums at a tiny cafe and no matter what he did, he could not play soft enough. We could tell during soundcheck, it was just gonna overpower everything. Super reflective room, bunch of windows behind us, so it just went ping every time he hit the snare drum. So he took the snares off and threw about three towels on top. So it basically sounded like he was playing a cardboard box, <laughs> but it was still percussion and he was able to do it without drowning out the whole band. And it sucks to have to rag on drummers so often, but the reality is that they don't have a physical volume knob, right? <laughs> so, so often they do have to adjust to a context. Um, for those people who do have a volume knob, usually they just need to be a little more respectful and in order for that to happen a band has to communicate because if no one says hey i need something to change here it's not going to change hmm. um, yeah. i often find especially like in the country world you'll have a lot of situations where there's a female front person with a bunch of hired guys playing behind and just the way that that we've sort of treated women in the music industry for so long and not empowered them to understand sound or to take any initiative with sound basically what often happens is that front person just sort of rolls with whatever happens maybe just has someone else in the band take over and they don't feel like they have the right to ask for what they need but I always say if you are the front person if you're hiring that band it is absolutely your call what that band sounds like on stage Oh, preach, Ben. Preach. <laughs> Say that one more time. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. We had, um, when, when me and Jervie had Lisa on the podcast, and she talked a lot about empowering women in the music industry and um, having, empowering girls to show up and understand those types of things so mm -hmm. we can kind of change the mentality around that, for sure. Awesome. Nice job, Lisa. <laughs> um, all right, hit us up with another tip. Okay. Um, I guess we're running long or running late here. I don't know if I should do this. I had a quick screen share I could show. Should I still do that? You, yeah. Your choice. Okay. Um, let's grab this one here. So there's one concept that I always think musicians and technical people need to understand so that they can figure out when things are going wrong and mm -hmm. how to fix them. And that's signal flow. Uh, Lisa, quiz. Do you know what that term means? Uh, no. I mean, I kind of do, but I'm not about to take a guess at it on, okay. on, on this. <laughs> <All right. laughs> That's fair. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, so. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, can you see this, this slide all right? Yes. Awesome. So generally when we're talking about signal flow, we're saying the path that our audio or video or lighting or whatever signal gets from where it takes from where it starts, the source, to where it ends up the destination and that matters because if something isn't working we need to be able to trace it and figure out why it's not working and so that applies in complicated situations and in very simple ones as well so I often use this example of an electric guitar plugged in to an amplifier and I say okay what's the signal flow here well the source is the electric guitar 
the destination is the amplifier. You could say this you've got a player on the front end and some ears on the back end too, but speaking just technically for the moment, it's those things. And so if we've got this set up and something isn't working, what are some things we can look at? Um, Maddie, if your guitar wasn't making sound, what might you look at first thing? I would look at maybe the cable is broken. Totally. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and if the cable looks obviously fine, what might we look at on the instrument itself? Um, if the volume knobs are turned up. For sure. Yeah, I mean, these are all simple seeming things, but they're absolutely <laughs> true, right? Like, mm -hmm. I so many times I have, as a professional, made exactly these sorts of problems. Like, mm -hmm. a week ago I was recording and I went, I don't have any sound. Oh, I didn't plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> so if you think from one end and you can go, okay, this electric guitar, is the volume on? Maybe there's a pickup option. Is it plugged in, you said, right? Mm -hmm. What about at the amplifier? Is it turned on? Is the volume mm -hmm. up on that? And we can think from one end to another, then even if we're flustered in the moment, we can say electric guitar looks good, cable looks good, amplifier looks good. Okay, now I've either solved it by now or there's a bigger issue and I need to start swapping out for a different guitar or a different cable or a different amp. But anytime that you can think in those sorts of directions, it's going to help you keep track of it. I'm just going to pop ahead here. Basically, I've just got a few other diagrams that I usually show people that are the same concept, right? If we're talking about a singer, singing through a PA, you've got a microphone, a cable, a mixer, another cable, and some sort of a speaker. Something isn't working, is the microphone plugged in? Is the mixer turned on? Is the volume up? Is the speaker turned on? Going from one end to the other is a super helpful way to just get through any of these. No, yeah, I love that. Troubleshooting. Before Troubleshooting. we kind of wrap, Maddie, do you have one more question? Not I have one. Okay, do you have one? Go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> um, can you just quickly tell us what you sort of, if you did post-secondary schooling and what, what it was? Yeah. So I went to Selkirk College in Nelson. I did the contemporary music and technology program there. So my principal instrument was bass, uh, but in my second year I focused on the production end of things. So I was still doing music classes, but I don't know, something like half of my courses were you know, in studio or on live sound or whatever. Um, and basically I chose that school over some others that I was looking at because I liked that it was a combination of the technical and the musical. I remember when I was in high school in grade 12, I figured, yeah, I want to get into recording. This sounds cool. And I think I'd like it. Um, and so I looked at some of the schools that were specifically recording. Uh, there are some really great ones that exist now, but whatever that was 10, 15, 15 ish years ago, um, there were, it was more limited what you could get into. And so I actually audited one of the schools, went into a couple of classes. And after doing that, I left the class and thought I could do this whole program and not know what a chorus or a bridge was. How can I record a band if I can't communicate with them? And so that's how I ended up doing a sort of combined music and tech program. And I don't think that's necessary to get into the work. Like nobody ever cares that I have that diploma when I'm getting hired, right? They care about my reputation, whether I seem like I can do the job and whether I'm available, basically. Um, but for someone like me who really enjoys a structured environment, I found it really beneficial and I felt like it helped me connect. Um, I know a lot of people when they're going through a music program like that, 
for the next several years, most of the people they work with happen to also be the people they went to school with. So say one of those, one of your friends has a band that starts touring, pretty good chance you're going to go out on tour with them as a tech because you already know them, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to do schooling. Uh, basically, you just need to put in the time and be willing to listen. Um, I actually I have a, a snippet of uh, a poem that I found a while back on my wall that I keep up to remind myself. Um, and the, the little phrase from one of the stanzas is, By yielding mastery, the will is freed. For we are taken if we give, are needed if we need. And for me, that's a really great reminder of not trying to always pretend or posture like I know what I'm doing. Because often people don't mind if you demonstrate humility and it also lets you continue to learn. That's some awesome advice. Actually, the last thing I was going to ask you, it was if there's one piece of advice you could leave us off with, but what you just shared with us was so beautiful. If there's another general piece of advice you would want to share with young musicians just getting into the music industry. Um, I think just just do stuff. Don't worry (laughs) about, like, it's so easy to get fixated on having to be perfect with your social media presentation or having to try and take one of these fast tracks to stardom or whatever. But if you don't really give yourself the chance to try different things, like I talked about earlier, that variety, you won't know what you're missing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, That's do awesome. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so oh. much, Ben. It's you're been welcome. awesome yeah. talking to you. Some Thanks great advice. Absolutely. It's been so good. Can you just for the last thing, can you repeat that poem one more time for us? Uh, I hope I'm quoting it right. Um, (laughs) By yielding mastery, the will is freed for we are taken if we give are needed if we need. Incredible. Thank you. Thanks, Ben.